Welcome to the Dental Amigos Podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about the Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Paul, it's good to see you, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. Jason Smithson. Paul, and I think this is our first international guest on the show, Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. This is great. Cool. Uh, Dr. Smithson qualified at the Royal London Hospital in 1995, achieved a number of awards, including the Constance Klein Memorial, the Stafford Millar, and the Malcolm Jenkins Scholarships, the American Association of Endodontics Prize, and the overall award for clinical dentistry. After spending three years in oral surgery residency in London and a further year practicing restorative dentistry in London's Harley Street Medical District, Jason relocated to Cornwall in the extreme southwest of England. He practices at Revitalize Cornwall, UK, where he mainly focuses on microscope-enhanced adhesive dentistry, which I think you're going to get into a little bit today. Yeah, Dennis is going to love it. Uh, His specific interest is direct composite resin artistry and minimally invasive all-ceramic restorations and he has presented to dentists locally nationally and internationally in the u.s canada australia new zealand europe on all these topics he's a postgraduate clinical lecturer in both the cornwall and isle isles of sicily uh, skeely and plymouth foundation i just butchered that man jason's got to tell me how i got that right dental practitioner schemes and uh, he's achieved diplomat status in restorative dentistry from the royal college of surgeons in england Uh, Jason is on the editorial board of the Russian Journal of Aesthetic Dentistry and has published numerous articles on adhesive and aesthetic dentistry in both the UK and abroad. He's the author of Vertical Margin Finish Lines and Fixed Prostodontics. And on top of all that, Paul, he's going to be uh, headlining uh, your event in Philadelphia here on uh, September 27th and 28th. Yeah, this year. With uh, 2019, with a hands-on clinical. Hands-on component to a third day. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a big, uh, big event for you. I'm excited to, uh, to be there and check it out. And now, without further ado, here's Dr. Jason Smithson. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks, thanks for coming on to talk with us, uh, Jason. No and uh, our mutual friend, Dr. Uh, Matt Costa, uh, is kind enough. You know, he had Pasquale come, uh, and he's you know told us what he thought. You know, we're going to speak for this Nacho guy. What did what did you think when Matt said, "Hey, you got to come to uh, Philly. Uh, there's a dental nachos convention." I was thinking of cheese sandwiches, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the food, yeah, that's. Uh, I- I love food and I love to travel, so um, it's ideal. Yeah, nice. Like I've not been to Philadelphia before. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of great. We, we've got lots of great food here. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, and I do often. You know, we had a chance to do a great Facebook live, and uh, I asked you about your nacho topping. So I'm going to uh, have a Rob-oriented question because I follow you on Instagram. So uh, what? Wine are you drinking now? And that could be actually this second or, you know, one of your bottles because well, Rob knows a lot about wine. Second. I had a, as we spoke about earlier, I had a pretty tough day today. I'm drinking currently a Rioja, uh, which is called Atadi. Um, I'm kind of into bigger Spanish wines. 
um, and also some, uh, I like Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, particularly some of the Italian ones and, um, and some of the New World Australian ones. I've, I've not had so many U.S. ones, but maybe that'll change soon. You have to try that um, when you're here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you like, Rob? I, uh, I drink a lot of Italian wine and, uh, and yep. French wine. Uh, I like yeah. Spanish wine, too. So uh, I actually had a Ribera del Duero uh, last night, yeah. uh, Condado de Haza. It's one of my favorite producers, but I like Riojas, yeah. too. And they're great. I mean, from a value standpoint, you know, it's like Cabernet that just ages just easily 20, 30 years in the right conditions and doesn't cost wine, what a Bordeaux costs. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, no, at about half Bordeaux costs, roughly. I would say, Rob, would that be fair? Yeah, I think, or half or even less, depending on the Bordeaux, <laughs> right? about half and and you know it's just you're just losing slightly on brand but i don't think it's a big deal well, well when after the, the we're done with the hands-on and the f- fun three days we'll get one of rob's bottles from his cellar you bring one jason i will just do what we'll we do call over head. here i will mooch off of you too so you know i don't know if you're not familiar with mooch a, it sounds like rob knows what he's talking about so i might have to bring a super tuscan or something. oh well look at that you're I, traveling <laughs> you you don't have to bring anything jason i'll, I'll supply the wine yeah but i've got a whole got a whole cell well we're so excited to have you come to uh, Philadelphia and share with us in September. That's just, you know, uh, going to be awesome. We'll talk a little bit about that, but I'd like to dig into, you know, tell us a little, tell us about, you know, a case that you've been working on. It could be recent, you know, from a day in the life of what I call top chef dentist, uh, Jason Smithson. Um, I mean, I, I don't really think of any specific case, something, um, I've been doing a lot more recently. I've, I've just switched offices, which you may or may not. I didn't know. Uh, about six months ago, and um, my previous office was um, pretty much doing bonding on people aged somewhere between about 20 and 40 years of age on average. Um, Where cases some, but lots of single units, lots of very tricky um, uh, resin cases. But now the new office is kind of completely different in so much as the... Um, the, the, the demographic of the office is much older. So I see a lot of older patients, 60s, 70s, sometimes even 80s. And I'm starting to do a lot more cases with um, fixed and removable combinations, So, which sounds really old school, and it kind of is. Um, I work in the office with, which I think is probably unusual in the US in so much as uh, one of the guys I work with is called a clinical denture technician. You may call it maybe a denturist. In the and that's a, he, he's in the office with you every day. Oh, actually, he owns the office. Oh, wow. Believe that? Yeah, which is a kind of a very unusual situation in the UK. Um, and myself and an implantologist and an ortho guy work with him. And I do a lot of very classic fixed pros now. Um crown and bridge basically but a lot of attachments um for people who either cannot afford or 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 more commonly in fact not well enough or healthy enough uh, or just don't have the time to have implants so you know our implant guy is pretty busy but you know if somebody's on i don't know bisphosphonates or they've they've got they're warfarinized they're unwell or whatever diabetic um we may do fixed removable with them. It's some uh, real classic dentistry there. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of dentistry from 1965, really. Um, but it works really well. It looks well, and it, and it functions. So, you know, it's kind of 
for me, I would say I'm just about mid-career now. Um, it's been interesting to kind of completely change mid-career. I still do the bonding, obviously. Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of what I'm doing now, a lot of. You're, sh- you're shaking things. I, I love business models, Jason, and I love dentists working together. You know, I, w- I wish we had more of it here in the U.S. I try to champion that. You know, I'm, I'm part of a practice with, you know, uh, two owners, three associates, a periodontist, someone doing sleep apnea. So I, I really enjoy being part of a group. And uh-huh. you, you have a small group there. Share with me, you know, how is it? So I, I know as a restorative dentist, you would be busy enough, but are the implantologists and the orthodontists, are they only working with you or are they working in other offices? No, they're busier than me. Oh, wow. And, and Yeah. Simon, who's the implant guy, is busy. He's racked out. He's, he's doing 30,000, what would that be, $40,000 cases one after the other. Just like bam, bam, bam. He just does implants. That's it. What's his um, training? Is he a, a periodontist oral surgeon or general dentist? He's a general dentist that does implants. It's interesting, though, because Jeremy, who's the ortho guy I work with, I, I ha- I've worked with since 98, and in a previous life, he did implants. Well, you, so you guys he, do everything over there. I like that. Well, mm, yeah, he, he basically just did implants up to last year, and then he's of a certain age. He's in his late 50s now, and he just thought, you know, I don't want to do implants anymore. Um, so he's, he'd, he'd always done ortho. But he's flipped over to pretty much doing ortho now. And I, um, I appreciate so it's it. Kind of a, it's not a specialist office as such. It's more, and, and I include myself in this, it's a, an office of really general dentists who have special interests and just do one thing, which is, you know, quite nice. I like that. I like that a lot. There's a great model. We have a similar. So what I think is cool, I like to dig into, you know, so on dental nachos, sometimes people give me uh, some grief, say, oh, you only like implants. But I say, that's not true. We do a lot of, you know, tooth saving procedures. But I say, I don't like implants or saving teeth. I just like what makes sense, right? What makes sense for the patient. So you, yeah, you and Simon think- aren't wrestling in the back, right, over teeth versus implants? Oh, I could care <laughs> less. I mean, it's, be- it's whatever is best for the patient, really. Um, or, or, or whatever suits the patient, really. Um, and, you know, it, even like for Martin, who's the, the, the clinical dentistry technician, we, we kind of share stuff like if there's a patient, he sees a patient, patient might need to study models for me, he's quite happy to do a scan. He doesn't bill me for anything. You know, I see, I very commonly see patients, uh, it, certainly in the, in the initial stages of, of reconstruction, who may need crown preps, fitting provisionals, extracting teeth, which I still do, um, and, and fitting the denture, and I'll fit his denture, you know, and, and I don't bill him for that, and, and, and it's kind of tag team, and it works quite well. That's, I love that, um, I love that message. quite tight as a team, that's the thing. And the patients win because they have, you know, these resources in one place. Uh, and I think it's really neat to have the dentist in there. And I think, you know, you can you can offer, uh, you know, I, I call, do they, well, uh, do they have tacos in, in England? Uh, with tacos. Yeah, is yeah, a, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I call, you know, teeth and saving teeth to me are tacos. Implants are nachos. They're both, they're both good. And, you know, people benefit from both. So, you know, I think we should have less drama and more, you know, embracing of the tacos and nachos. But, you know, you know, the dental world, Jason, they can tend to get uh, a little dramatic at times. So thanks for sharing that story of a uh, positive. Pos- 
Hey, yeah, yeah. Jason, if you could, too, just out of curiosity, if you just tell our listeners, like, how, it, does uh, dentistry, as far as insurance and you know, government funding, does it work differently in England than it does in the United States? Uh, if you just briefly just works, kind of run us through it, our listeners it, for that. It works slightly differently in terms of nomenclature, in other words, what it's called. Um, we have, in England, we have universal coverage of NHS, so everybody in England whether you pay taxes or not, it is entitled to have their teeth fixed uh, by the National Health Service. And this is a government-funded service. Um, and it's kindly, kind of a very odd business model in so much as a dentist will set up an office and he will be NHS, um, National Health Service, and the, um, he sees a patient and the government set the fee for what he or she does on the patient. Um, and the government pay him or her the fee. Um, the patient pays a small proportion. It's, I haven't done it for some years, but my understanding is it's split into three bands, um, easy stuff, medium stuff, and then complex stuff, and you're paid more to do complex stuff and less to do easy stuff. Um, and then we have kind of, and, and to be honest, quite a lot of patients in the UK are NHS and quite a lot of dental practices are NHS. Then we have um, insurance in much the same way as, as the US, uh, although it's not usually funded by the patient's employer. Usually the patient pays a monthly premium themselves. Um, and frankly, many offices in the UK are what we call mixed offices. So they take some NHS and they take some um, private, uh, some um, insurance plans. And then you have fee-for-service, which is basically exactly the same as the U.S. You know, you, you, you need a root canal, you go and have the root canal, and you pay X number of pounds or X number of dollars for, for your root canal, and that's done deal, and there's no input from any third party. Um, most offices in the U.K. are mixed NHS um, insurance plan, and they do a little tiny bit of fee-for-service, but that's the kind of average model. Uh, some practices, uh, some offices are purely NHS, uh, and very few offices are purely fee-for-service. So that's kind of how it works. I, I imagine it's very similar in the U.S., but it's just... That's a pretty similar breakdown, and, and thanks for sharing that. So you, I know you as guys, you guys are exclusively fee-for-service, so put yourself back in you know, uh, your days of leaving dental school. You're leaving dental school now, uh-huh. and the yep. dental students... How are, are they mainly only, can they only get jobs with the NHS? Can they get jobs in the mixed practices? I mean, what's it like for a, a, a dental student kind leaving school? It's interesting because um, when I qualified, uh, which was some time ago in 95, um, there was no way you would get a job in the private office, uh, mainly because most people were NHS then and pr- private was seen to be quite prestigious. So you had to kind of earn your spurs, as it were, working in the NHS office and then put together a portfolio. And then if you were lucky, you may end up in a, in a FIFA service office. Nowadays, um, quite a number of, of, of uh, dentists are leaving dental school, doing what we call vocational training, which is a little bit like your, I think you have GPR training. GPR and AGD, yeah. Yeah, for like two years, something like that. Yeah, one to two um, years some of which is in hospital, some of which is in general practice, um, none of which is specialized. And then after that, they're leaving and going to private offices. 
But the other thing I'm noticing here with younger dentists in the UK is, you know, when I qualified, um, I, I was kind of, it's kind of embarrassing to say now, but I've grown up a bit. I was kind of money orientated, so I would work five or six days a week from like six till six and, you know, that was me. Um, but most younger dentists now are just working three and sometimes four days a week, but quite common to see younger dentists working three days a week. And is that because they're working three days a week because it's just their lifestyle or they there's just not enough jobs for all of them to work more? I think a combination. Some some are working for lifestyle and some are working because there's only three days a week of a private fee-for-service or private um, insurance job for them and, and they don't they elect not to work within the NHS system. Um, that's certainly becoming the case in younger dentists and... and I can see good and bad for that because you know I did I did NHS for five years, you know I was seeing like thirty patients a day, um, and not chair hopping out of one chair, which is pretty hard going. Well, that is. Um, and there's some advantage to kind of earning your spurs and learning learning things in that way, um, but there's also a disadvantage because it, it, it's quite stressful and it, and your quality unless you're very hard on yourself, your quality goes down pretty easily. So I kind of see where this, to be honest, it's pretty tough as a young dentist in the UK now. I think probably the same in the US. Yeah, similar to, just to keep continuing for a good switch topics, like, how, how much is a dental student paying for dental school in the UK? Here in the United uh -huh. States, they're paying like five or $600,000 at some schools. Uh, well, what? you can cry now because uh, my understanding is it's somewhere around 10,000 pounds. Oh wow! <laughs> so I'd probably per year. I'd probably I probably have to check that just to be just to be clear. But I think it's definitely no more than twenty. So I mean that's such a good point. I love my list, the listeners of the amigos. You know I I talk about this a lot with the rising debt levels, not having enough jobs, the this, the associate pay not going up in the U.S. and that. Dentistry, you know, we had some uh, podcast guests, one was Tyler Bond, you know, if you do the military here in the U.S., you have dental school paid for, right? So, you know, I think that's, that's still dentistry could a be a, gr a great job because, you know, you leave, you have zero debt. And, you know, if you're working three days, four days, five days, but it's just the debt level in the U.S. has just become. You get, you get your health care as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, we, we is, has become a lot. Well, um, thanks to about business models. Now let's switch over, put on a different hat. I'm wearing a fedora now, Jason. No, just joking. But uh, some uh, tell us a little bit about your bonding life. And how about, you know, that's I know that's one of your, you know, just awesome signatures, you know, doing direct resin restorations, you know, uh -huh. high quality anterior, posterior. What are some misperceptions dentists have if they think, oh, I could never do it like Jason Smithson, or I can, you know, how would I ever get to this level, whether it's time or effort or training? Share a little bit about your journey and, and how dentists could embrace it. I think the never it. can get it is a little bit unfair on yourself. You, you know, something that I find when it, because I teach a class most weeks, something I find when I teach a class is, you know, the, the, the delegate will show me their type of don and, and, yeah, often it's pretty good, and then they'll look at mine and go, well, it's nowhere near as good as mine, and, and get kind of depressed. But what they forget is I've been doing this since 1998. Huh. I've been teaching that class, doing the same class for the same resin veneer for 
10, 12 years on the same type of dance, week in, week out. So you get good at it. It's just, a, I, there's a, I don't know if it's well known in the US, but there's a thing in the UK that it takes 10,000 hours to achieve true mastery. Yeah, that's it. Mar- Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, that's uh... um, it. It probably, probably does actually physically take 10,000 hours to, to achieve mastery of direct resin. Frankly, it's, it's, one of the more challenging aspects of dentistry, to be honest. Um, and it, to, if, you, if you want to achieve mastery of it, you have physically got to want to. And that's all very easy to say. But the reality is you've got to physically go and do it. And that's where some people may lose out. I think, you know, um, I know a guy, I'm not going to name him because he's American, actually. And... Um, he went on a class, this is some years ago, he's about my age, he went on a class uh, taught by a very well-known U.S. educator who's older, um, and he was bad. And he decided he was going to get good, and he just kept going to this guy's class over and over again, like five, six times, and he kept applying himself in his office and on type at home, and now that guy is actually an educator in the U.S., actually speaks at AACD, et cetera, et cetera. So it just shows you, if you apply yourself, you can actually do it. It's, that's a great um, message. It's, and I, I think you it's s- the applying that's the problem. Most people get beat up. And they, uh, the other problem is money. I have to say, um, and people, people are often not truthful about this. If you ask lots of guys on the lecture podium, um, how did they get good? One of the things they won't tell you is probably for the first five years they didn't make a lot of money because you have to spend a lot of time practicing, you have to spend a lot of time reading, which is all work, and you have to perhaps allow a little bit more time in your office to achieve that level. Um, Perhaps not very high fees, Um, and that's how you learn. Um, and if you're not prepared to do that, then I, I accept that. And there's nothing wrong with not being prepared to do that. That's a life choice. Uh, but you won't get there. Yeah, that's, so. that's a great point. And you said something earlier, Rob, and I've had a, we had a good episode on, you know, evaluating your employees, evaluating your associates, asking for feedback. And you said two things that I wanted to revisit. So you say, you know, a young dentist gets out and works at the NHS. And a good yep. part is they get a lot of experience. Bad part is their quality could go down if they're not hard on themselves. But I'm assuming it's probably difficult to be hard on yourself when you're seeing 30 patients a day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kept the, my quality, be honest, my quality wasn't as high as it was now. I mean, I was doing like a crown prep in the anterior and then spinning an electrosurgery tip around the margin and then taking an impression and that would be it and they'll come back and I'd fit the crown and it would be okay. It may have a visible margin, it may not. Now I wouldn't even consider doing that nowadays. But the bottom line is in terms of quality, the occlusion was good, the contacts were good, um, the marginal fit was good. So in terms of a health kind of thing, was a good restoration, if you will. Um, the extra time is for the nuances, let's say. So it does. It, it I kind of gone off piece a bit there, but it d- depends on your definition of quality. 
No, I mean, yeah. what's a good, it's a good point. And I think that's what, you know, because we're not doctors and we don't spend time in hospitals as we have, you know, in the U.S., there's, there's residencies. You want to be a gastroenterologist, you're going to spend years following around bigger, stronger gastroenterologists, and you're yeah. going to get feedback. One of the challenges is, you know, you may have the desire and put in the work, but you need some, also some feedback while you're working to say, Hey, and that's just, it's tough in dentistry because it can be a very solitary profession. And that's why I think it's cool. You have this group of dentists you're working with now, but that's what I worry about with younger dentists is that are they in environments where they're getting good quality feedback that quality mentorship, yeah, mentorship where you're saying, you know, it's like you're talking about this. You're the, the student from your class who said, mine doesn't look like Jason Smithson, but you say, I've been doing this my whole life. And then they go back to their office and they have to be, they have to find this magical spot where they try hard and say it's the best that they can do and they're going to get better each year. And I just think it takes a special dentist mind to be able to do that because it's easy it to, does. to. It does. To, and, and you know what? It's, uh, I can. I, I don't know in the U.S., but mentorship is not very strong in the U.K. I don't know why. It is in Italy. I have good, a lot of good Italian friends, and the mentorship is very strong there. And I kind of try to extend it in England a little bit as a very small contribution for myself. Um, but what I find in my classes is that, you know, a lot there are kind of three types of people. One kind of person will do the class, and then they will go away and um, go back to what they were doing before. They kind of give up immediately. And that's kind of disappointing. The other type of person, the opposite extreme, and I can think of maybe like 10, 15 of these, will be like a real wow person. And they will they'll do the class, and then they'll almost, because you do need a level of commitment and obsession, they'll kind of get obsessed by it. And I'll put loads and loads of effort in, and often they'll send me images and ask for feedback and blah, blah, blah. And three or four of them have got pretty close, and one actually perhaps better than me. Um, and that kind of is a wow moment for me, which is great. But the group, the third group, I think is actually the most important group, which is the group that go to the class. They don't become the wow person. They, but on the flip, they don't give up. So what we do is they actually get a little bit better and they apply some basic principles that don't take a huge amount more time to do, a little bit more mental effort, but not a huge amount more time, and they end up doing a better job than they did the week before they came on the class. And actually, that's the group that I find the most satisfying, and I call it shifting the bell curve to the right. So you have a bell curve of being average or being in the middle. And if you can shift the average just a little bit to the right, I think that's where you make the biggest impact in dentistry, not by making very few people great, but by making a very large number of people just a little bit better. Do you get where I'm coming from? I love that. I mean, I I love the message. I, I, I think you articulated perfectly. I have a quote in my lectures from Tarnow, Dennis Tarnow said, you know, when he speaks to whether it's 10 or, and you're saying with 10 or a thousand people, he gets to, you know, improve, hopefully improve the lives of the patients that those dentists see. And as well, and I love this part of our nacho theme is make that dentist a little bit happier in their day. 
And that's the goal of CE. That's the goal of what I'm trying to do and you're doing is that, you know, dentists, you know, I, I, you articulate just so perfectly with the give up and the wow. And almost those are easy categories, right? It's easy yeah. to give up. Well, the wow is not so, not so easy because the wow, the wow guy was always going to be good. Right, but they're, they're, it's take, inside of them. credit for that, but kind of all you did was kind of push them on their way a little bit more because they had it inherently. But the math, the third group, which you shifted to the right, you had to work on them and they had to work on themselves a little bit. So, in fact, they they were the most successful group, really. It, I mean, it's it's resilience, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. figure. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a uh, it's kind of you know I would say my job is to be con- kindly annoying to dentists. You know, I try hold them accountable. Whether you know I, I do a lot with the patient communication for implants, and I will randomly text them and say, "Are you talking more about implants? Are you doing this?" And those I I just. It speaks so much to me with that shifting the group to the right a little bit, raising the average because yeah, for the the wow is not easy, but it was it was inside of them and they crossed paths with someone like you and you brought it out and now that now they're wow like you you're wow and then the give up is very dentist because and I understand it it's it's hard to incorporate a new skill into your to your um, yeah office uh, so that brings me to the question also of like they have sometimes a repressive kind of environment that working in doesn't mm-hmm. kind of work for them but. You know, I mean, the, the enjoyment is also, uh, moving on, I mean, you, you mentioned the enjoyment factor, which is kind of interesting because um, one of the things I was first known for, um, funnily enough, on Dentaltown years ago, I don't, I don't go on that site anymore, but years ago was actually putting tints in the occlusal surface of a, the molars. And people used to say, well, why do you bother doing that? You know, you, you don't get more remuneration for it, blah, blah, blah. It's about the enjoyment. It's something that doesn't take a lot of time, maybe a minute, but it adds to your day in a very sad way. Um, in terms of how you how you enjoy your dentistry, rather than just banging something out, you're creating something which, on a personal level, makes you go home feeling happier, less drained, more fulfilled in your job, rather than, oh yes, I just banged out 10 direct residents today. It's more like I created ten new teeth today. Yeah, that's you know, that, that's a completely good. different mindset. I know our, uh, people are just going to love your your talk because I just think dentistry needs more of that. And that's you know maybe we can kind of come up with a term ourselves because it's like you know don't be too hard on yourself, but don't not be hard on yourself at all. You have to be in this middle version of holding yourself you accountable. Be, you have to be pushy inwardly to yourself, but you don't have to take it to a level of abuse. Really. Right, right, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's basically where you're at. Yeah. That, Otherwise, that, that, you, you know, you can get very easily depressed, but, you know, the, the media environment nowadays, Facebook and Instagram, you, you're looking at, you know, cases which people have spent hours and hours on, and it's their best case. And you compare, what people tend to do as dentists is they compare the, the average case they did that day in their office against somebody's fancy Instagram case and then they feel depressed that it's not as good. Well, clearly it's not going to be as good. That guy probably spent all day doing class one or something like that. You know, it's, I think you, I like that. And that's very true. We should start posting or you maybe just posting. Here's my last resin. You know, I'm, I'm sharing it with you to share that it's very good, but it's not, you know, going to go into my next lecture to just sort of, Oh no, 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 it will go. That's the thing. And when I do my lecture, I do actually include, quite a number of everyday cases because you know sometimes you might make an error or or something like that is worth showing you know it's not like wow it's not going to win an aacd award or anything like that but it shows 
it shows your error and, and actually that's more useful I mean I can go to a lecture and just show a bunch of wow cases and from beginning to end and, and but that's not going to be very useful for people in day-to-day -day practice they want to say okay I can't get the matrix on how am I going to deal with that oh I've got some bleeding how am I going to deal with that oh I got saliva in my itch how am I going to deal with that etc etc et I got white lines I got sensitivity you know, you know yeah. I can't I can't fix a, a, a resin without having to hack the hell out of the occlusal surface to fix the occlusion. How do I fix that? You know, all these little things that are actually useful, that makes it kind of practical and, and user-friendly for a dentist on a day-to-day -day basis rather than just like showing case after case of like, I'm the God, I'm the big well, and, and to me, that's, that's such a, that's what I look forward to when I'm learning or I'm trying to share the things I can share because that's what makes a real difference because that's real life, right? You know, it's like a model exactly. could get dressed up and, a, you know, for a photo shoot and, you know, spend all day and have makeup artists for, you know, a shoot. And that's not real life. But what is real life is, you know, getting ready to go out with, you know, your kids upset and, you know, uh, your babysitter late. That's real life dentistry, right? You know, what happens when the patient, yeah. you know, patient's late, patient's difficult, you know. So I, I'm just so excited to have you share. And we, and we have a very, very high-end fee-for-service office. But I tell you now, I bang out very simple 30-minute uh, single shade class ones with bulk fill dentine layer every single day and the reason is that you know the patient doesn't want to spend a ridiculous amount of time in the chair the <laughs> yeah. old the, the patient may just not want to sit for hours you know um, we don't we don't spend you know six hours doing a class four it's just not you know, even in a very high-end practice, it's just not practical. Because, yeah, who are you are people, doing it they for? They just don't want it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I usually say, you know, when I talk with my new dentist boost camp or try and teach them about, do you, I say, do you want the best haircut you can possibly get? And they say yes. And I say, is it okay well, if it that, takes... That, that would be very difficult for me. <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay if it takes I've seven... Paul's face is turning red right yeah, now, sorry, Jason. Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I, I uh, uh, apologize. I think of another... Uh, another a good way I could put it but you know if you said to your, your wife you're going to go for a haircut it's going to be great but it's going to take seven hours she'll say could you give me the hour version right and that's what you do with resins no, my wife you know? takes the seven hour version with a Prosecco usually oh nice that's it yeah, it's nice we should have gotten to that um, things. um well you know I appreciate you sharing all, all of this Jason um you're going to be coming to speak you speak a lot um the speaking world, Rob's been doing some speaking himself. He travels around. So uh -huh. uh, what are some, you know, what do you love about speaking? And what's something maybe you wish you could change in the speaking world? In the speaking world? Um, what I love about speaking is, well, on a personal, very selfish basis, I love the travel. And I love um, different environments. So I like different cultures, different foods, different wines, different... Uh, different people, different ways of life. Um, and then when I'm speaking, I kind of, I kind of like hitting the, the, the group threes, um, which, you know, moving the bell curve to the right, that's what I kind of like. When you, I tell you what I like, um, there is a part of my lecture where, where we do um, uh, adjustment-free restorations, because that's a problem a lot of people have when they, they place the resin and then they have to hack the hell out of it. And pretty much everywhere, and I've given this lecture in Europe, in the US, in Asia, in Australia, et cetera, et cetera, um, 
pretty much always there. People grab their iPhones and start taking pictures of the slides. And that's, I love that moment when people pick up their iPhone, not when they pick up their iPhone and start looking at it, <laughs> yeah. when they pick up their iPhone and start taking pictures of the slides, it actually means they're engaged and there's a lot of interest there. And it's actually a problem which is relevant to them. So um, that's the kind of things I love about lecturing. What was it? I lost myself now. Right, that's a, that was great. I, I like that. I mean, it, what if you, you know, what would I I've change? been speaking for a long time. You have been too. Just, just more about on the speaking world. You know, as as we we have different technology now. It's it's changed over the time I've started speaking fifteen years ago. Just anything you would change about how the speaking world works? Um, I think it's become too commercial. Let's say that. Um, a lot of the case, this is harsh, but a lot of the cases are becoming manufactured because it's a commercial world. And then we get away from the everyday dentistry and we get into, you know, what I call, I have a good friend in Italy, we call it Pixar. So it's a lecture which is like really well produced and it's a beautiful thing, but it doesn't have relevance to 99% yeah. of dentists in the, in, in, the, in the audience. And that's kind of great for a big academy type lecture where you want wow but it's kind of not great if you're a regular uh, insurance based dentist that just wants to learn how to put resin in teeth um, so I think that's something that I personally would like to change but I don't think I'll be very successful I think I think that's what the way the market is nowadays hey Jason how did you get into the whole speaking world oh my god this, I have to tell you now, uh, this is a long story. How long do we have? Do we have a few minutes? <laughs> we definitely do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, so I am naturally not a confident person. I'm quite quiet and a little bit shy. Um, not so much as I used to be, but historically I was very shy to such a level that if we had an office meeting um, and I had to present some data or something like that for about a minute, maybe two minutes, I'd be up all night with diarrhea, being being worried about it. Um, so I was pretty nervous kind of guy. And um, my situation was I was in dental practice, not isolated because I had a reasonable mentor, but um, I wanted some feedback on resins basically. So I was doing resins and, and I was posting them on, on some fairly rudimentary social media sites maybe 10, 15 years ago. And they got good feedback. Uh, and I was doing things like staining the fissures, which is quite normal now. And um, in those days, it was pretty avant-garde and pretty, pretty out there. And um, I got a phone call from a guy in Australia. In fact, you know him, Lincoln Harris. Yeah, yeah. Lincoln, um, he came to Philly. Yeah, we we yeah. hung out here. It was great. So Lincoln, Lincoln and I are pretty good friends. And Lincoln called me. And at that point, Lincoln had a... Um, a meeting called Aesthetics in the Alpine. Now, it wasn't in the Alpine, which is in Europe. It was, in fact, in Vancouver in Canada, well, in um, Whistler. Um, and he called me and he said, um, Would you, do you speak? And I said, well, no, I don't. Absolutely not. And he said, well, it, if you're interested, I, I run this congress called Aesthetics in the Alpine. Um, and the deal is uh, we have one famous speaker, which in... The year I did it was a guy called Gary DeWood, who you may know. Oh, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Um, very good speaker. Um, and then we have a local well-known speaker, some Canadian guy. Um, he was, I forget his name now, he was quite a well-known Canadian implantologist, but it's not my field, so I, I kind of forgot his name. But anyway, um, and then we have somebody who's never spoken before, 
there's kind of the warmer warmer pact, uh, and and that could be you. And I was like, um, no, I'm not too sure I want to do this. I, I think I'll decline it. And he said, well, and, and basically I was working five, six days a week in my office. Um, and he said, well, the deal is, um, w what we would do is y you wouldn't get paid, but we fly you out there, you and your wife, um, uh, and you get a hotel for a week. And you get a ski pass for the week in Whistler, which is a pretty nice place it's to cool. Yeah. Um, certainly from Europe, not many people go to Whistler. Well, now, but at that time, not many people went to Whistler skiing. Um, so I said, well, that's great, and that's all very nice, but no, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, put the phone down. And my wife, who does like to ski, said, who was that? And by the way, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't that well off then. Um, so a skiing holiday was kind of a luxury. Um, and I told her all about it, and she said, I think you better phone him back right now. <laughs> and I accept. I said, oh, you know, I can't do that. I've never spoken before. I don't even have a lecture. I don't know. Do you have this company in the U.S., Dell? They make computers? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, we do. So I, my, my, I'm not very tech either, to be honest. I'm pretty analog. So my computer was like a Dell PC that was like five years old with a, with a couple of keys missing, and I'm being <laughs> serious. Um and I had no idea of how to do anything tech. I had no PowerPoint, and I couldn't even cut and paste. So um, I rang Lincoln back, and I said, okay, I'll accept it. And he said, oh, okay, all you have to do, it's very simple, is to give a one-hour lecture, which nowadays, if somebody said that to me now, I, you know, I wouldn't even need to prepare. I'd just take my laptop, open it, decide what I was going to say, and make it up as I go along. But then... Um, I was like, okay, so now I have a situation where I have no technical skills whatsoever. I have no idea how to make a PowerPoint. I've never spoken before. And now I'm suddenly an international lecturer on my first gig. <laughs> um, so I called my friend, uh, Stuart, he's my best friend. We, we were best men at each other's weddings, uh, who is um, he's a teacher. He teaches computing for Lego now, oddly. And I said, what am I going to do? And he said, well, you need to make a PowerPoint. So I go, how do you do that? And he said, well, you need to buy the software first. So I got the software. Um, and then I, I just couldn't do it. So you're going to laugh at this. What I did is I bought, you know, a reporter's pad, like an old-fashioned reporter's pad, a flip-top pad? Yeah. Yeah. And on page one, I wrote slide one. And then I uh, drew a picture of where I wanted the image. And then I wrote the reference underneath. And then I put all the images on a disc. At that time, it was a floppy disk. Right. Um, yeah, this is a long time ago. <laughs> Just post-slides, post post-carousel uh, slides. Um, and I mailed the disc and the reporter's pad to Stuart. And Stuart made me a 4 by 3 presentation, basic, very basic presentation with no effects. They're just basically advanced. And he said, as long as you keep going forward, you'll be cool. And just keep talking. So uh, I went out to Whistler and did that, and that was my first gig. Um, and my wife got a ski holiday out of it. But in the interim, a guy called um, Phil Zelmano, who you probably don't know, he's based in Connecticut in the CT. Um, he's again another one of my good friends now. He, he called me and he said, I, I, I'd like to do your class. And I said, well, uh, firstly, I don't have a class. Uh, and, and secondly, if you want to do it, it's out in, with Lincoln in, in, in Whistler. 
And he said, well, the problem is I, I, I don't ski and I, I have no interest in cold holidays. I said, okay, which is kind of ironic now because he bought a ski place and he's really skiing now. But anyway, that's a whole different story. Um, and he said, what I'm going to do is we're going to run this on, on Dentaltown. Um, actually, six months before I ended up going out to see Link, and he, he ran it at a place called Mohegan Sun. Oh, yeah, right. You we know, know in Connecticut. Sure. You know it? Casino. Yeah. It's, it's quite a nice casino. I'm not a big casino guy, but it's quite a nice casino as casinos go. Um, so he rented a room there, um, and we got, uh, who do we, we got GC to sponsor it. I just kind of rang them and bumbled my way through it. Uh, they gave us materials and Phil is actually pretty, he, he won't admit it, but he's actually a pretty good salesman. He put it out there on Dentaltown and, um, he sold, I think 35 seats in 12 hours. Wow. Yeah. At quite a high fee actually. Um, and we just split the money. So um, I was, my eyes were opening then because Lynx was great and I got a free ski holiday out of it and, and, and great. But then I, my, wife, my wife's a bit sharper than me. She's like, you can actually make a living doing this. And I was like, okay. And I kind of just bumbled along from the beginning and, and that, they were the two that mainly started me. One, one Link actually kicked me into doing it basically. So it was basically his idea in the beginning and and phil actually made, made me realize i could financially make a living doing it and then you know since then i've been doing it for like 15 years well so dennis is lucky to have it's you really done cool. that and and now you're coming to speak for someone named dr nacho so do you ever know where this journey takes you it's good to have friends dragging you along right yeah wives and wives and friends are good well uh this has been awesome jason thanks for sharing all this with us can't wait to meet you in person and have fancy wine from you and rob and i'll i'll contribute something to what you tell me what nachos go well with that wine and i'll bring them and uh, um you know, if people want to uh, register for your course, you can do it on uh, We're just at September 27th, 28th, and the hands-on session on the 29th. And uh, it's just going to be awesome. So uh, thanks for being on with oh, us. Oh, Instagram, too. How, how can people Oh, yeah. Uh, how how can people reach out to you, uh, Jason, Jason uh, to follow you on Instagram? So um, I'm just Dr. Jason Smith, and it's very imaginative. Um, so it's easy to remember. There, they'll, they'll find there are just some cases, there's some scenery stuff, bit of wine bit of food and some step-by-step -step cases and that's kind of it oh nice sounds yeah. like our our mantra here you know? yeah yeah a so wine, yeah a little wine food, food and uh, a little dentistry and is there a website yeah. for your practice or or um any we other way to, um we have uh jasonsmithson.com again very imaginative <laughs> web name that's clearly me and we have uh, revitalized dental care uh .co .uk, not .com and that's our office um, awesome, Jason. Well, uh, just a few months, we'll be here in Philly, and uh, uh, enjoy your time until then, and thanks for being on with us. Thanks, Jason. Looking forward to it. Nice to speak to you. Well, that was fun. Our first international guest. Yeah, I liked it. You know, I had some of your, your favorites. Some of you guys really knew the wine together, Rob, so you know, I could tell he was a kindred spirit with that. Yeah, I look forward to meeting him, actually drinking some wine. Uh, you know, uh, I really thought it was interesting in a couple of ways. I mean, the whole uh, conversation about resilience and right. being persistent, and then to kind of hear how uh, later in the in the show, how Jason got into the whole speaking world, which was the, the, the classic case of resilience and yeah, persistence. Yes, exactly. You know, no, taking something he wasn't even comfortable with and getting outside totally. his comfort well, zone. That was my, really, he had his, his wife kindly annoying him and said, we're not passing up on a, on a, on a ski trip, and now, you know, Dan 
industry is better off for it. So that's just a just a cool way and kind of just exp- just being willing to kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, it's just one of our one of my messages on nachos, and you've helped me with that because it's an important thing in life. And you know, if he had stuck to his you know, not wanting to speak, we would, you know, thousands of dentists would miss out on all that stuff. Yeah, it's neat. I also, I thought his message was cool too. Just, I mean, he's just talking about just kind of what the regular stuff is, you know, not, right. you know, the whole world of looking at, you know, the, the, the best possible case and that's posted on social media and comparing yourself to something that somebody's kind of offering up as this like very special thing, you know, and really it's just the day to day and it's the routine stuff is what really what it's all about. Yeah, and that's what I, we're trying to do to help, you know, whether it's the podcast podcasts, see other things, just help people make themselves a little bit better, a little bit happier, uh, because it's tough, you know, especially dentists, it's a very solitary career. You're out there sometimes by yourself and, you know, you go to C course and you go there to learn and you think I can never do what that person's doing. And then like he even said, it makes you kind of discouraged. So it's that middle ground of trying to be persistent in making what you do just a little bit better for you and your patients. Yeah. And I think it's just really a testament to him that, you know, he's obviously a very well-known and well, high regarded, uh, highly regarded speaker. Uh, who really wants to deliver the message that it's, you know, really all about the regular stuff. Yeah, right. You know, he's not, it's not the whole sexy big show. It's like, it's okay. You know, this is what we're doing yeah. on a regular basis. That's neat. So uh, uh, once again, Paul, where are the dates? Uh, yeah, the September 27, 20th. We have two days of awesome lecture. And then there's going to be a hands-on session on the 29th. You can go to dentalnachos.com to sign up for all of it. You can reach out to me at Dr. Nacho at dentalnachos.com. I'm so excited to have uh, Jason come here in September. I think what he's going to deliver to this audience is just going to be something you can't see uh, every day and you get some of this perspective that he shared with us here awesome are you going to live stream this too or uh, yeah, we got to see well, we'll see how Jason's uh, comfort zone is but maybe there'll be his next foray into this <laughs> we'll be, he'll be on a, a satellite TV so television. I, I want to do that we got to ask him <laughs> we have to remind him of the story that got him into speaking in the first yes, place yes exactly right, right? Yeah. Know, yeah. you know was, the angle yes, right? you know, I, know, I, know I got it thanks, <laughs> thanks Rob good you, I, I know I have you here for a reason that's thanks. right I'm glad to be of assistance thanks Rob thanks Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.